Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out the last and greatest mysteries of the Fringe Path and so much more. The topic for tonight is the setting of the dream worlds because uh, we, we talked about, you know, how to identify them and things like that, but we also want to, talk, you know, help the players and the GMs understand, uh, you know, how to create that sense that you're in a dream world, okay? Uh, it, because it's different than, you know, um, uh, a virtual reality, you know, because usually in a virtual reality, you're intentionally trying to make it plausible. But, you know, in a, in a, in a dream world, that, that's off, you know, that, that may be there, but it's, it could also be off the table, so, you know, and as we talked about in, in, in some of the movies like Inception, the dream had to follow some kind of logic, otherwise the, the host would be uh, resisting it and would even send its, its psychic minions to, to fight you. Okay, so, all right. So let's, uh, let's start off with uh, uh, things like uh, atmospherics, okay? Uh, when you think of a dream world, um, uh, you know, and what what the world looks like, okay, in a dream world, okay, what comes to your mind, Jonathan? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is altered colors, um, the sky being orange instead of blue, or even just the slightest shade of sea green, and you know, just things not quite matching up the normal day-to-day operations and day-to-day you know reality as you normally see it mm-hmm. so you know and, and of course this is going to be informed by the kind of dream world that you have you know obviously if you're going to have a dark you know horrific type dream world then you know it's it you're probably going to go more toward the reds and and um and and, and darker colors Things like that, you know. Weather may, you know. Well, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll let Trav talk about that. Um, so, you know. And but of course, if your if your dream has to do with, you know, uh, walking going down a city street, then yeah, the colors could be just like you'd expect normally, or they could even be enhanced. You know, that blue might be a real popping blue, or like neon blue, or the blue might be the same color as the blue walls of your bedroom. You know, there might be specific cues that are taken from the environment of the person who's hosting the dream uh, and uh, to, you know, which makes them feel comfortable because they're, you know, it's something that they recognize. But for you, as the person who's in the dream world and having to deal within it, may look around and say, I don't think that, uh, you know, that bears have that particular shade of uh, uh, neon gray. 
prefer and things like that. Uh, Trav, what about weather? Weather, well, it w I think it would depend on, because usually I see dreams as it takes everything from your memory, even if you subconsciously pick up. So if you're in a bad mood, you might be, it might be dreary and gray and blah outside. Or if it's a happy dream, hey, look, white puppy clouds and, you know, sunshine and, you know. So, yeah, I think the tone of the dream might situate what the weather might be, what the atmosphere might be in the dream. Mm -hmm. So in, in like uh, the Matrix, okay, the weather always seemed to be one of two things. Either it was this gray, uh, overcast kind of look, or it was raining. Yeah, yeah, yeah there usually was... there were some some moments where it was, you know, relatively decent weather, yeah. Well, the only time, I mean, there were times when it wasn't raining at night, okay? But in the daytime, uh, even when it wasn't raining, like I said, you know, the, the sky was, was um, you know, was always this kind of grayish uh, color, this, you know. Even when it was, like, bright and sunny, it was still not bright and sunny. It was, okay, you can right, see that yeah. it's sunny, but it's it's a kind of meh sun like and i'm thinking of like the highway uh scene from like matrix 2 it's like yeah, yeah it was yeah. outside it was sunny but it, it still wasn't like a bright and beautiful day it was like an la day so you know you had the smog kind of a smoggy kind of thing going yeah yeah you know and, and the architect said that that you know they tried having a a, a, a fun, happy world for the humans, and the humans could resisted it. So instead, they picked a slightly dreary, slightly unhappy, <laughs> just kind of a plodding day world for them to live in. So they could have, you know, and they were happy having their little moments of happiness in that otherwise unhappy experience. So that, uh, I think it wasn't until the end of the original trilogy when, you know, the day is saved that you actually see a, a bright, sunny, like, sunset or sunrise or something like that, where you actually see nice weather. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that one scene where he goes out and talks to the new woman who's the uh, oracle, and she's feeding the pigeons, and it's, it's a nice sunny day, and, you know. Uh, I was thinking of the very end when you have, like, the architect and the oracle talking. And yeah. Not to spoil yeah, it, I think that's for an old, old movie, but, you know. Nice sunrise and, yeah, symbolizing hope and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And, of course, they said, you know, in the real world, supposedly, you know, that the sky was always covered because we it was the humans that basically scorched the sky. So, all right. Yeah. But most of the time it seems to me that, you know, the, the, the weather in – a, as you said, Trav, the weather inside of a dream world is going to reflect uh, maybe the emotional state of the host, okay? Yeah. But but not necessarily. It, it could also be the, the, it could reflect the state of the story that is being, the dream, that, you know, the, the ongoing narrative. You know, if we are, 
you know, if it's if it's a time where people are unhappy, it's going to start raining. If, if there's a moment of 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 you know uh, where things might the dream might change and or you might go into a dream where where it is brighter or whatever like that then you're not going to have if it does rain there's going to be a rainbow okay or there's it's going to be that kind of nice soft warm rain that you know that the supposedly lovers fall in love with each other in you know it's it's not going to be pounding icy you know and of course if it's if you're really really unhappy then you know uh, then it could be pounding rain or pounding uh, icy snow and sleet and things like that to just, you know, m miserable, just to make you as, trying you know, the dream's trying to make you as miserable as the host, or at least whatever the host is thinking about uh, or what the dream's about. So you, you, could, you use the weather to, to basically convey the, the subtext uh, and sometimes foreshadowing. You know, if you're heading in a direction, you look up and you see all these storm clouds in the distance, that could mean that the dream is going someplace where, you know, there, you're going to have to deal with some some uh, uh, conflict, you know, and that needs to be resolved. And all, uh, in your, all of a sudden your NPCs are like, ah, I just feel kind of tired. I think I'm just going to take a nap because they don't want to engage with it, right? And then you have to somehow engage and get them to keep moving along because if you're in a dream, you're trying to follow the dream to and, and mold the dream to wherever it is that you're trying to get to, either because you want a resolution or because you're trying to find out something or because you're trying to get out of the dream. Because, of course, as we, we talked about, you could be trapped in the dream. So you gotta you gotta follow these these cues that are coming at you. Now when we when we talked about the uh, uh, like steampunk, we talked about how there was always the sound of clanking in the in the in, in the background, like like metalworks or construction going on, you know. But it didn't necessarily it, when you heard clanking and banging, it didn't necessarily mean that that they were building something. They could also be tearing something down. So sound yeah. itself can be, uh, uh, you know, can be used in a dream to uh, achieve certain things. So if the dream doesn't want you to be effective, the sound could be loud or could distort your words, things like that. Jonathan, how else could sound be used? Oh, um, the well, the first thing that comes to my mind are, are is like sounds that shouldn't be there um good or ill because again like if you're having like a nightmare scenario you might have the the constant whispers or maybe even the the angry yelling in the back from nowhere or random screams but if you're having a more happy dream it, it might be you know everything is kind of you know happier every voice has a little bit of a happy look to it even the even the angry ice cream cone over there that's cursing you out is doing it in a happy way um that's what that that's not just a little bit creepy and that's i know that's why i like it <laughs> uh, we're talking about dreams they all have to be creepy upon waking <laughs> my, my my favorite dreams are the ones where i'm, I'm like i'm like i need to forget this dream right now <laughs> all right um okay so uh but i like what you're talking about how uh, for example, is that the the 
the sounds can be like almost a chorus. So you know, uh, so when you're you know, when when you're in a situation where you're confronting something or you say something that the host wouldn't like, all of a sudden you hear these angry murmurs. You know, like the crowd, which up till now has basically been kind of ignoring you, just doing whatever they're doing or following along with the narrative, but not really directed at you. And suddenly, you know, all of a sudden the crowd starts getting angry. People start shouting stuff. You know either at each other or over at you. Hey, stop that now. You know, you should just shut up right now. All of a sudden the cars driving down the street, their horns got exponentially louder. Or they start beeping all of a sudden when they weren't doing that before. Of course, as we know, one of the, the best things to do whenever somebody is getting a little too close to something that matters to you, you know, is uh, A, blow something up or like I say, having a car crash have uh, you know a, a a a piano fall out of a window and crash down onto the street uh have an earthquake i mean those are the big things but there's lots of little things that can happen too uh, suddenly a, a window breaks an alarm goes off and you're distracted from what you were just doing and you know and, and unless you're paying attention to the gm smiling you know that the uh you know you may get to strike, say oh we need to go over and examine this when in fact is it's a complete red herring by just by using sound to distract you from what it is that you are actually getting some progress on trap what do you think about sound um usually yeah music could be used to Usually you would have music in to help the ambiance of the dream. We'll use the example from, uh, oh God, second Avengers movie, where Wanda was messing with all their heads. You had Captain America there at a 1940s, you know, swing party. And you're hearing the big band in the background, even though the guys are bleeding from wounds, you're still hearing, you know, Glenn, I won't do the sound, you know, it's not pod safe. But, you know, you're hearing Glenn Miller, or Benny Goodman in the background, and, you know, they're all laughing, even though they're bleeding from gaping chest wounds or whatever, or Thor in the ballroom with Heimdall, and you're hearing the, you know, the, the, the Nordic kind of music, and he's in that, like, mead hall in the dream. You know, yeah, it can be there, but the sound, let's say the sound doesn't change. You could still be having that 1940s, you know, swing big band music. And even though bad things are happening, like his buddies are there bleeding on the dance floor. So it could be the same yet still give off. What What is the term I'm looking for? Discordant. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's inappropriate to the setting, to the narrative. In its mood... Due to changing events, it's all of a sudden like, why is there big band music playing when this guy in 1940s army uniform is bleeding out his chest? Wait a minute, hold it. You know, something's really wrong here. Yeah, and that's when Steve knew, okay, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. So music usually, in in my instance for dreams, it, it sets mood. Mm-hmm. And when things change, that's when the mood changes because the music, from my experience, usually doesn't change. So, but in that in that singularity, what what's the phrase? The silence is deafening. Yeah, 
that kind of. Yeah. You're saying, okay, so one example is using music to give a false impression of what the, 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 the setting really is or what the narrative really is. Okay. And then there's another option where you can, a sudden change in sound basically is, lets you know that a change is happening and that you, know, you need to get ready for what comes next. You need to pay attention. Oh, yeah, like a tempo change, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and of course, uh, I already mentioned the fact where you could, you know, it could be used as a red herring to, you know, to distract you away from what is, uh, what's really going on, you know, which, what should, what you should be paying attention to. So, yeah. And I, I would say, I would add on that it could also be, and kind of like what they did in, in Inception, I think, is, um, it could, could be a clue that your your sleeper is about to wake up because I know uh, from personal experience where I've had numerous dreams and then I out of nowhere music, you know, morning radio starts playing in my dream and and it doesn't quite fit and it confused me in the dream. And then I woke up in morning radio was playing and it had invaded my dream. You try so hard to make it fit with what your <laughs> what's your dream. Yeah, and I mean, it sometimes alters the dream because if it's singing, you know, if it's a song singing about a, you know, purple people eater, and then suddenly a purple people eater is in my dream. What is this going on? And then I wake up. Okay. I always, I always wondered what you know the meat of the purple, you know, the purple people eater tasted like. You know what? Because I've had some exotic, you know, steaks in my life. I was wondered about what that would taste like. You know. Well, I mean, how many purple people do you know? What kind of taste does purple people give a purple people eater? Well, it, I think he's talking about the purple people eaters' meat. I think is it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hope. No, the, I hope. the people aren't purple. The eater is purple. Okay, time for a disclaimer. We here at Gaming on the Frontier podcast do not condone cannibalism in any way, shape, or form. Okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is purely predation. This is not cannibalism. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, because you know, uh, uh, historically, uh, eat. Eating uh, lion meat in Africa was considered extremely uh, forbidden, and uh, it, it was a big uh, cult, uh, cultural faux pas to do so. So, if you went out and you hunted a lion, you were doing it to kill uh, a, a a powerful predator. You weren't doing it because you wanted some meat, like you might do for like a wildebeest or other things like that, and. Um, one of the uh, and it was one of the it basically destroyed uh, destroyed the career for uh, Hemingway, oh. Hemingway because oh, okay. because they they uh, uh, they were on safari and they and they ate lion meat even though their guides told them not to, which would probably have been fine except that his wife insisted on telling people at the in 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 the game club when they went back that they had done this and everyone's like. You know, this is this is really bad. <laughs> this is like really, really inappropriate. You know, uh, and it it caused him a, a a lot of problems with his career at at that point. Now he was elderly at that point, but uh, some somebody actually challenged him to a duel over it. It was like either he goes and does the duel and gets shot, or he doesn't do the duel. He was considered a man's man, so it was like totally would have would have lost all of his honor 
you know, in, in, amongst these people. So it was, it was just a real bad, big problem for, uh, uh, for Hemingway. But uh, you, you can read all about that in, his, in, in some of the biographies of him. Uh, but uh, my point is, is that you know there there you uh, there can be um, if you're if you're careful, uh, you know the dream may throw in uh, you know various kinds of taboos to uh, shock, either shock you and therefore uh, again distract you from what it is you're supposed to be doing, or um, you know they. They can act as a um, uh, an enticement to keep you from progressing, you know, uh, uh, because you're doing something forbidden, and you know maybe it's that's a that's a secret vice that you have, um, and uh, and you're saying I'm in a dream world. It's not real. I can indulge in it, you know. Either way, it's basically slowing you down. The third way, as we mentioned, just like the discordant music, throwing in a taboo can also shock you and propel you out of the area, possibly further in the direction you should be going. If, in fact, is the point of the dream is to come to, to reveal something or come to a resolution, you need to keep going, not getting you know, tied up doing things that aren't important to the narrative. You know, it's it's been really, really rare, but I almost never have smell, you know, scents and things like that in my dreams. Now, that could be me personally because I don't have a very good sense of smell. But how about you guys? Do you guys, do you have that in your dreams? I don't oh. think I've ever recalled smelling anything in a dream. No. I can, I can recall one or maybe two where, you know, the dream was about a bad smell. But I can't. But I can't say that I remember a smell itself. I mean, one of the clues that you could be in a dream world could be the fact that there is no smell. Yeah. Okay. Nothing, nothing smells like anything. Yeah. You're in a field of flowers or, uh, or you know, um, uh, you know, wild uh, weeds and things like that in a forest, and yet there's no smell. That, that would be... Uh, that could be a real clue that you're in a dream world. Or you're in a sewer and... and oh, yeah, if you're in a sewer and it doesn't smell yeah. bad. Things that you know should smell or stink and you're not picking up anything. Wait a minute, my nose is fine. I'm breathing okay, what's going on? Yeah. And yeah. as a GM, I'm going to tell you, when I first got into D&D, &D, you know, because that was the game, game to play back in those days. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would, I mean, you know, that was something that I always thought was really freaky. Is the fact is that nobody seemed to have any issue of it about the fact that we were essentially walking around sewers. You know, those dungeons were essentially mostly, especially when they really were dungeons, as in you were going into the. I actually had adventures where it's like, okay, we're going to go into sewers and uh, kill all the monsters because you know after a certain point they get they get so many of them, you know, feeding on all the trash and refuse that gets thrown down, hand basically hand fed to them through the the various sewers and holes and stuff like that that they've gotten so numerous they're about to burst out of the uh, the sewers into the streets. So you guys need to go in there and you know and, and knock back the population. You know, and um uh yeah. 
uh, I mean, the, the mages are going to go and throw some fireballs in there, you know, to, uh, to, to, to knock it back a bit, but you need to go in there and make sure that there, there aren't any uh, places where the, uh, you know, the monster, basically monster generators are, are going on. And, you know, and these people would go down there and they would, they wouldn't even think twice. Like I say, don't, you know, this, you know, this is, you, you really like how this smells down here. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, this is a sewer you're in. Okay. Wait Not a minute. Well, okay. I just want to stop. Wait. Okay. You had them run through a sewer and they thought, oh, we're going to throw fireballs down there to clear things out. Oh, you're going to clear things out. All right. From what last I hear, methane explodes really well under heat. Yeah, yeah. Well, what they also didn't uh -huh. understand is, is that you know, there's a lot of stuff that's that's you know, um, there's there's excrement down in sewers and things like that. And when you throw a fireball in there, okay, it, yeah, it does it does what it does, but it's a momentary flame. And what you really do is it's more like you cook it. Okay, and so now yeah. it's even more aromatic than it was before. And I was like, uh, you, you know, everybody, you know, roll me a uh, a Constitution saver. You're just going to start hurling because of the smell yeah. that's there. Yeah. And uh, and they're all looking at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, you're in a sewer, dude. You know, and they're like, you know, I don't. And basically, you know, I got, I, I learned they don't want to role play that. You're look well. It's because nah, you're yeah. one of those game masters like me. You're into verisimilitude. Yeah. If you're in a sewer, you're going to play up the. It smells like a sewer. Yeah. Yeah, but I learned that they didn't want to do that, so I stopped doing it. You know, even though I do like verisimilitude, it, it comes to a point where it's like um, they really don't want to uh, to to deal with this. So it, it and therefore when I started using it, I started using it as uh, a clue, you know, or uh, as a lure. Yeah. You know, you smell this strange flowery fragrance in the sewer. Well, I wonder where that's coming from, you know. And of course, it's like uh, one of those monsters that you know with tentacles, but it exudes this flowery smell to attract things like bugs and stuff like that so we can eat it and it, and you go wandering in there lo looking for the the big pile of flowers and you know zang you know the adhesive tentacle smacks you in the middle of your forehead and yanks you into the darkness <laughs> oh carrying crawler or adiug adiug is what i was thinking of but oh, okay, yeah. i could never pronounce it <laughs> that, that's how i do it i might be doing it wrong i mean but that's yeah, fine it's it it works as good for me, but yeah. So yeah. I'm saying is that most of the time, if you use, I think that if you use smells and stuff like that, that uh, just like in, in role-playing games, uh, people are going to be, when they, if they can smell it, they're going to be like, the GM just gave us this information. It's got to be important. So it's either he's trying to distract us or he's trying to lure us or he's trying to tell us something. So... You know, you know, Kowalski, you know, analyze. <laughs> so uh, that's how I see using it in a dream world. Uh, and uh, even even though, you know, and, and, and then, of course, you know, you, you mentioned the fact that, um, you know, I think once before that, that there, there uh, it isn't used very much. But rem there's one place it was used, you know. Uh, in a dream world, and that was the Wizard of Oz. Those enormous fields of poppies, and the, oh, and, yeah. the yeah, and the pollen yeah. from the poppies had become had been ensorcelled 
so that when they smelled the pollen wafting off the poppies, they and as they walked by and knocked it free from their feet, it made them go to sleep, made them fall asleep. And it was only after Glinda caused snow to fall down and and basically tamp that all down that they wait and also yep. chill them that they woke up from their sleep and were able to get out of the uh uh get the final the final bit to the emerald city it, it was a distraction in the sense that it was in disabling them of course if you're in an area uh of a dream and all of a sudden you start sm smelling that bad smell that that's the smell that of natural gas that's uh, piping out of out of a stove, but they add that chemical to it to make it smell bad. Yeah, they add sulfur to natural gas. I found out it's yeah. that's why you smell the egg smell. Yeah, right. Well, all you, of a sudden you start smelling that egg smell when you come to an area. You know that's that's that should alarm you. Okay, and therefore you know you you'd either say something's trying to keep us out of this area or we need to get out of this area right away so one of the two things i think would probably be good because theoretically you know like when we, you went into the dream world of freddy's you know they you, you there was the heat there was the um this you know the sound of the steam and, and, and clanging going on i mean really the freddy dreams were very rich in their um, soundscape uh, compared to a lot of dreamscapes that I've seen in other movies. Uh, and, but again, they never, they never talked about, you know, the, the smell, you know, in those kinds of environments. It was only, uh, and even when you went to a place where there was carrion, not in the Freddy dreams, but in other dreams, uh, usually what happened was, is that there'd be flies all over the carry-on, and they would fly at you and and, and, and and cause you distress rather than it being the smell of the carry-on it's, itself. So, uh, you know, that that's how I, I see smells, you know, in, in things. Um, so we've, we've done, you know, sound, sight, weather, um, uh, I'm just trying to think uh, what other what other uh, environmental types of things that are part of the setting can be used to convey that dream-like quality? Well, obviously, if, if you, of course, if you have a lot of fog, it, it serves the purpose not only of setting the, the mood, because fog is almost always uh, a kind of a, uh, uh, either a depressing or a, uh, uh, you know, you, you can't see, so you're, you, you can become more worried. Uh, uh, or it's it's done purely for the purpose of uh, hiding stuff from you, you know uh, the, the the and if you have a if you have a dream in which the you're using the mental faculties of the dreamer the host, uh, you know it could be a sign that the, the the dream is coming to an end because the host is too tired to continue the dream, and so now all of a sudden it gets foggier and foggier. You know, all of a sudden you're walking in mud because it's, you know, the dreamer basically doesn't want you to keep going on. The dreamer wants the dream to end. So it's doing everything to fight against you going any further. And, and of course, if there is a point, an exit point with a revelation, trying to get keep you from getting to that point, they just want you to stop, which could be lethal in, in some dream worlds, right? So...
Yeah. yeah, it could also be used as like a just a, ba- a boundary, like, you know, this, you know, the dreamer doesn't know what is behind this wall, what's behind this door. So when you open it up, it's just a blank fog. Oh, that's always so cool. You know, when they when they do that in movies, you know, the fog, you know, so it's a uh, uh, remember in the Mountains of Madness uh, movie um, where at one point he goes, uh, he's driving along and and he he opens his car door he rolls his window down and there's just nothing but blank fog outside of his window he can he looks forward and he can still see you know the road that he's traveling down but when he looks you know out the window it's nothing but blank fog around him with you know and then when he opens the door he sees he's actually like a mile in the air and in and far below he can see like a a, a country you know a, a streets lit streets and, and 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 buildings and things like that it's it's a really weird thing right at the end of the mountains of madness which has nothing to do with the story by the way by um uh you know, our, 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 I was going to say because that didn't sound like Lovecraft. No, it is called the Mountains of Madness, but it really isn't. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not the Mountains of Madness. Out of the Mouth of Madness. Oh. Okay, sorry, sorry, everybody. Yes, that. Okay, and it's uh, Sam Neill plays the uh, the main character. And uh, okay. In those days, this was before Jurassic Park. In those days, we were all like, he's Damien. So any movie he's in oh, is yeah, yeah, any yeah. movie he's in, he's either going to be a bad person or bad things are going to happen to him. So uh, you know, th- th- I'm thinking of Event Horizon. Arguably, when he did go, yeah, Event Horizon. Wow, that's that's over, really doing the, the the thing. But uh, arguably, when he was in Jurassic Park, even though he was a nice guy, bad things did keep happening to him. <laughs> so, but but he kind of redeemed his image a bit, you know. Uh, he also redeemed his image a lot in um, uh, the. It wasn't called a drift. It was the movie um, with Nicole Kidman, yeah, and and Billy Zane. Uh, the, and uh, he was the he was the dutiful husband that Billy Zane basically uh, maroons on his sinking boat, so he can basic so he can. Uh, uh, Force the wife to have, give him fun times. Okay, I remember. I don't remember the. I remember the plot vaguely. Yeah, yeah. yeah as he sails off in their sailboat. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, uh, and uh, Sam Neill is is he does all does, does an amazing um, MacGyver job on that boat and gets it going and chases them down and you know and 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 rescues his wife. <laughs> so. You know, it's it's from a guy who did not look at all at the beginning of being like able to do anything. He turned out to be a very heroic character. And Billy Zane, who started off being like the the cutest guy in the world, turned out you know ended up being a complete sociopath by the end of the. Oh no, Billy Zane plays very good. Bill, I mean Cal and Titanic. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, he he and, and the and the devil in um uh you know in, in Demon Knight, oh absolutely, yeah. So and the one time he plays the hero, the Phantom, the movie bombs. So it's like okay, stick with playing the villain. Well, unfortunately, the guy who played the villain in that movie was much more interesting than the, than the Phantom was. One other thing I noticed about dreams that you could put in to really throw people off. 
incongruent things, objects, creatures. And it, it was something that I mentioned, I think I mentioned when we taught, when I brought up the, the Dreamwalker PDF that I, that I use for running dreams in my campaigns. They call it fluff. And it's random things from your, from the dreamer's psyche that's thrown in the dream. Yeah, you could be there. Yeah, the dream is in 1920s New York, and I'm a gumshoe and all this. And all of a sudden, the the horseback New York police officer is riding a unicorn. But it looks totally normal. No one's batting an eye. Or you could have a wall that's all turning cogs and gears and, you know, in an alley. And it's just little weird random things that it's just that one thing it's incongruous with the rest of the theme of the dream. Okay. That's another thing I've used are just and it's pretty much random things from the dreamer's memory that is just thrown in subconsciously. Right. Okay. That's something I've always noticed when I run dreams. That's something I use to let them know. You know, I'll have them do a perceptual. Yeah, you're seeing that, you know. Yeah, that that horse isn't right. It's got red eyes or something or, you know, just incongruous things within the dream. That horse is neighing in Latin. Yeah, that 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 horse is wearing shoes, but not the right kind yeah, of shoes. Yeah, and yeah. not and not the one to nail on either. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what is that horse wearing? Yeah, well, uh, you know, a lot of times dreams change, you know, because the person might actually be like coming close to consciousness, then falling back, and the dream changes. So uh, there's a transition, and when the transition happens, a lot of times things get really wacky in the dream. So it's almost like the the dreamer is paying more attention to the the dream where it's going than where it has been, and then things happen like you know things that were was not in in your direct line of sight before. If you if you then examine them, you find out that that they're not right. Like you know you're a, uh, an old style telephone. You pick it up and it doesn't have any mouth holes or ear holes in the in the grill that's supposed to be there okay yeah. or um, you know or again the same telephone there's actually no numbers on the dial there's a dial and maybe the dial doesn't work you know and um, chairs are actually like locked down onto the floor instead of them being able to move them they're like rigid yeah yeah <laughs> and i think one thing i remember um numerous seeing this in numerous different places but like i think the language center of the brain is not quite connected to the part where you usually dream and so if you go to read a book or read a sign in a dream it will not make sense it'll just be gibberish yeah i've actually done that but i might have been i might have been very close to being awake Mm. because i noticed that i could do it it was like it's like i you know I, i i'm in a dream you know, which is a quite a thing you should not normally be saying to yourself when you're dreaming. Yeah, if you're lucid, you're probably able to. It'll probably make some. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I've heard that too. That was actually uh, uh, the basis for figuring out you were in the dream world in one of the Batman um, uh, comic movies, cartoon movies. So uh, because you know they they. They, they, they're all these walls and they had writing on them, you know, but then when you looked at it carefully, it didn't make any sense. It was just gibberish. 
but until you paid it, but most of the time you were paying attention to the big bad, who was, of course, you know, monologuing and, and attracting and using powers and attracting attention and not around you. And, you know, so you might not, you know, and, and like I said, there's a, you're in a library, you pull a book down, you open it up, and it's filled with either blank pages or it's just filled with gibberish. You know, that's that's a really good indicator that you're in a dream, sure. You know, and, uh, you know, unless you are affecting the dream, you know, in such a way you might actually force, you know, some things to make sense. But that's where we talked about before, how much control do you have in the dream world? You know, what can you actually affect? You know, are you just along for the ride and are just trying to understand where you're going and how to get there? Or are you actually changing things? You know, can you, you know, can you affect it? So uh, in which case, if you can, I suspect you probably can, you know, uh, make those words make sense. But you're not, you know, you're not actually dreaming when you're in that. In those cases, you're actually usually much, much more aware it's the dreamer, the host, that is the one that is the, uh, you know, has the most limitations. Okay. Uh, so anything else about, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and setting the, the stage of the dream world uh, that, that you wanted to, that you want to mention, Jonathan, Travis? No, not really. I think we. All right. I so. think. I think the only thing I would say is just keep in mind how you're getting into the dream world. Um, Cause I, like I said, I've, I've been working on a, I've, I've been in sort of inspired to do a campaign now that's quantum leap meets inception. And so, you know, how, how do your, how do your non dreamers enter the dream person's dream? Right. Yeah. No, that's what and I'm how do they get out? Right, stuff like that. Keep how that they, in mind. How do they get can, out? You know, do they, can they just? Because that can color everything about about the situation. Right, and of course, as a, as a game, the the you know, the one option you don't want to give them is they can just wait it out. Yeah, because that's that's no fun. <laughs> okay, that's uh that's that's the premise for Cube, the movie. I don't know. Maybe maybe they could, but then if again, if you're doing like a person of interest type of thing, they could they could, but then they won't be able to save the person. Right. Well, that's you know that's that wasn't that situation. Okay. In, in the movie Cube, they they it, it, as it turns out, you know, they they follow these clues that are uh, uh, on plates below the doors that they keep moving from door uh, room to room inside the cube. Okay, but it turns out at the end that if they just stayed in the original room, it eventually comes comes to the place where they can exit. They could have just waited it out. <laughs> But nobody was willing to do that because they thought if they waited out, they'd just die. They'd die of hunger. They'd die of thirst. You know, it would it'd be a bad thing. So they they played the game. They were they felt forced to play the game. So, but you don't want you know you definitely never want that in, in a, an actual role playing game because you know if the players find out that they didn't have to actually do anything, then they're they're going to hate the game. You know, they're going to feel like their time was really wasted. We we refer to, the, uh, to those adventures, by the way, as auto-run adventures, where it doesn't matter if you do anything or not, the adventure's still going to move along. So, and uh, those, there's been, and I know that I have, uh, I have written a few of those, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys have too. 
So, all right. Well, thanks uh, for talking about this. Uh, this will end our third session on um, on dream worlds. Uh, you know, this is this is actually one of the more challenging areas because you know you it's it the place is so mercurial, it's so amorphous, and uh, and you and you have to make decisions as to what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and. And, and all those questions we rose in the previous two sessions. So we uh, we hope you'll take you'll take the uh, uh, you know the you know this challenge that we're putting in front of you and try to come up with a dream world that truly is uh, not only interesting but also uh, moves your campaign forward in a uh, interesting way. Uh, because uh, unless you your entire campaign has to do with being in this dream world, if it's, you know, we're not talking about one shot. One shots are dream worlds are great because you get into them, you run around, you try to figure out how to get out of them, and if you don't, well, then the session runs out of time and everybody goes off. And hopefully, you entertain them while they were there. But if this is a campaign, then you're using this as a means of of progressing your campaign, uh, revealing information about. Uh, the, the various characters that are in the dream and possibly some greater truths uh, that you want to reveal in your campaign. So, but whatever you do, bring the awesome to your table. And we'll be here to give you more information about how to do that, but you'll have to wait until next week. So, until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. You can listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on DementiaRadio.org. Also, the Professor and I are each now on Twitch. For me, it's twitch.tv slash trav31369, Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, with campaign notes. The Professor is at twitch.tv slash Professor Pixie. Please check her page for time and date.